Ephesians chapter 1 this morning. When you have Ephesians chapter 1, you stand with me as we reverence the reading of God's Word. Ephesians chapter 1 this morning. <coughs> I do apologize if I cough. I've been having some trouble with allergies this week and uh, you just uh, look, overlook that. I pray that it will not take away from what God wants to do this morning. Always worry about that. I don't want to have anything going on that would take away from God's uh, work in His ministry this morning. Amen. Ephesians chapter 1, we're going to look at, at uh, four verses of Scripture. Uh, we're going to begin in verse number 5, look in first Ephesians. What did I just say? Ephesians chapter 1, verse number 5. That's where I want to be at this morning. Paul said, "...having predestinated us into the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to Himself, according to the good pleasure of..." Say those next two words with me. "...His will." Now look in verse number 9. He said, "...having made known unto us the mystery of..." What is it? "...His will, according to the good pleasure which He hath purposed in Himself." Now look in verse number 11. In whom, talking about Jesus Christ, also we have obtained an inheritance, being predestinated according to the purpose of Him who worketh all things after the counsel of what? His own will. Now turn over to chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5, verse number 17. Ephesians chapter 5, verse number 17. Well, I tell you what, let's back up to verse number... Uh, let's back up to verse number 14. He said, Wherefore he saith, Awake thou that sleepest, and arise from the dead, and Christ shall give thee light. See then that, that, that ye walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time, because the days are, are evil. Now look in verse number 17. Wherefore, be ye not unwise, but understanding what the will of the Lord is. The will of the Lord. Father, as we come to you this morning, I just want to thank you for another opportunity to be in your house. Thank you, God, for your word. I thank you, God, that it's a light, that it's a mirror, that it is a, 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 like as a fire, as a hammer that breaketh in pieces the rock. Father, I pray that Your Word, Father, would accomplish that which You please. God, it would prosper in the thing whereunto You send it. Father, I pray, God, that You would work and move in the hearts of Your people today, but also, Father, in the hearts of those who may not know Jesus Christ as their personal Savior today. Father, I pray this morning that each of us would examine ourselves, whether or not we be in the faith. That God, we would examine ourselves the fruit of our lives, and God, our testimonies before you and before men, that God, we'd see the truth in Christ. Lord, I love you this morning. Thank you for what you're going to do. Lord, I'm excited this morning to see what the good Word of God will do in the hearts and lives of people that, that will listen and hear it, Father. Love you and we thank you, Father, this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. I'm reminded of Hebrews chapter 4, verse number 2 this morning. Paul said, For unto us was the gospel preached as well as unto them. But the word preached did not profit them, not being mixed with faith in them that heard it. If the word of God has any work in your heart and in your life today, it has to be mixed with faith in those that hear it, in your hearing of it. I'll be honest with you this morning, my heart's heavy. 
You know, it's one thing, it's one thing for a person to deceive other people. It's a totally different thing for, for us to deceive ourselves. For a person to deceive their own selves. And I realize this morning that's a very strange way to begin a message talking about the will of God. But I promise you this, by the end of this message, that statement's going to, going to, you're going to understand why I said what I just did. It's one thing to deceive others. It's something totally different. It's a, it's a tragedy when a person deceives their own selves. And you know, we can deceive our own selves. James said in James chapter 1 and verse number 22, but be ye doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving your own selves. I've been studying this book of Ephesians for several months now and uh, the more I study it, the deeper it gets. And the, if I can say it this way, Hannah, I realize this isn't a word, but the gooder it gets. Amen. Uh, this is a, a good, a good study. It's, it just gets gooder and gooder and gooder as I go through the book of Ephesians. Well, the last time I preached, I preached on the thought in Christ. I talked about how everything that we have is in Christ. God hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. But today I want to preach on this one simple thought this morning, the will of God. The will of God. Three times in this first chapter and then again in chapter 5 verse number 17, Paul mentions the will of God in the book of Ephesians. Now what is the will of God? You've heard me mention the will of God for your lives before each individual person. God has a will for your life. Something, a desire that He has for your life. That's all that word will means. It means a desire. God desires something out of your life. But what is the ultimate will of God? You see, the will of God for your life plays into His ultimate will. It plays into that 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 big that big picture that God has, each individual will plays into the, His ultimate will. Well, what is the ultimate will of God this morning? What is it that Paul is talking about here when he talks about the will of God? Well, if you've got your Bibles, turn over to 2 Peter chapter 3 and verse 9 and let's find out what the will of God is this morning. What is it this morning that God desires from every person in this place? What is it this morning that God desires for every person in this world? 2 Peter chapter 3 verse number 9 tells us this, that the Lord is not slack concerning His promises, as some men count slackness. But his long suffering, that word long suffering just seems, uh, it simply means that he's patient, that he suffers long with us, that he, that he endures all of our stupidity uh, for a long time, long suffering to us. Now here's the word again, not willing, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. What is the will of God for all men? God's will is that all men be saved. Now, I'm not real sure how the Calvinists explain that verse away. 
I don't think you could get any plainer than 2 Peter chapter 3 and verse 9 that it's God's will that every man, boy, girl, child, uh, every woman be saved by His grace. God's not willing. He does not will. It's not His plan. It's not God's desire for any to perish, but God's desire is that all would come to Him through Jesus Christ our Lord. Well, man has a problem. Man has a problem this morning. You have a problem this morning. And that problem is sin. I want to take you back for just a moment to Genesis chapter 3. God created man and woman placed them in a garden in a state of innocency, not knowing right or wrong, not knowing good and evil. And they had one, they had one command, and that command was that they were not to eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Man in a state of innocency, walking in fellowship with God, a state of sinlessness, not knowing good or evil. All they had to do was they, they were to take care of that garden. They could eat of any of the fruit around except for that one tree. God gave man one command and man could not obey that one command. But Eve being tempted and being beguiled by the serpent took that, that, that fruit, that forbidden fruit and ate of it and gave to her husband and he likewise sinned. He not being beguiled, not being deceived, but he was in the transgression because he, he willfully sinned against God that day. And after that, all man uh, was plunged into sin and death. That's where death comes from. That's where suffering comes from. That's where sin comes from. It's because man that day ate. Wherefore, as by one man sin entered into the world, uh, and death by sin, so that death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. You know, when, when, a, when a child is born into this world, little Grayson back there, he was born into this world. He got Hannah's DNA. He got Ethan's DNA. He got his grandparents' DNA on both sides. And passed down to him, not only was, that, was those temperaments and those traits and those characteristics from his parents and grandparents, but passed down to that child was a sin nature. He's not, he's not a sinner because he sins. He sins because he's a sinner. Now I'm going to prove that to you. How many of y'all had to teach your children to lie? How many of you had to teach your children to be selfish? How many of you had to teach your children to pitch a fit to get their own way? Why? Because it's in their very nature to sin. And it's in your very nature to sin today because that sin nature was passed down from Adam generation after generation after generation after generation until it came to you. And this morning you are a sinner by your very nature this morning. The problem with that sin is this. In Ephesians chapter 2 verse 15, the Bible says that Christ having abolished in His flesh the enmity, even the law of commandments contained in ordinances, for to make in Himself of twain one new man, so making peace, that He might reconcile both unto God in one body by the cross, having slain the enmity thereby. The entrance of sin into this world brought in with it an enmity between God and man, 
That word enmity means to be hostile. It means to be enemies. Friend, you better listen to me this morning. If you've never accepted Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, you are in danger of falling into the hands of an angry God this morning. God is not pleased with sin this morning. Amen. And your sin has brought enmity between you and God. Romans 8, 7 says that the carnal mind is enmity against God. For it's not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can be. And if you're not saved this morning, if you've never accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior, you are an enemy of God this morning. Sins caused a separation between you and God. The, the prophet said your iniquities have separated between you and your God. Your sins have separated, has hid His face from you that He will not hear. And you have a problem this morning. And that problem is that you're an enemy of God. You're estranged from Him. And you have no way to reconcile yourself back to an almighty God this morning. You may be thinking this morning to yourself, well preacher, I thought God was a loving God. Preacher, I hear everybody talk about how much God loves us. Oh yes, God is a very loving God. God is a compassionate God. God uh, Psalm 145 verse 8. The Lord is gracious and full of compassion and uh, slow to anger and great of mercy. God is a loving God. God is a compassionate God. But can I remind you this morning that God is also a holy and a just God. Sin has to be dealt with. God cannot overlook sin. Uh, you want to see how much God hates sin? Look at Calvary. Look at the cross. Look at what the Savior endured upon Calvary. That will show you just what God thinks of sin this morning. Sin has to be dealt with. The wages of sin is death. Sin has a price to be paid. But there's another problem with sin this morning. And that's the entanglement of sin, the bondage of sin. Romans 6 says, knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him, that the body of sin might be destroyed, that henceforth we should not serve sin. For he that is dead is freed from sin. Verse 17 says, But God be thanked that ye were the servants of sin. Verse 18, Being then made free from sin. The entanglement of sin. Do you realize this morning, dear friend, that if you're not saved by the grace of God, you're in bondage to sin this morning. You're a slave to your sin nature. Oh, listen to me this morning. You may be a good moral person. You may be moral. You may be good. You may be a church member. You may be a leader in the community. But if you've not been saved, you're in bondage to sin and you're on your way to a devil's hell this morning. You may be thinking, well preacher, that's a sad picture that you're painting this morning. If I can't do anything about my sin and my sin's causing me to be the enemy of God, and I'm in a hopeless situation, preacher. What am I supposed to do? Well, that's exactly where you are. You're in a hopeless situation this morning. You're in a helpless situation. And that's the best place that you can find yourself this morning. Paul reminded those Ephesians of where they came from. In Ephesians 2.12, he said that at that time, talking about before Calvary, 
before salvation, before they got saved, that at that time you were without Christ being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenant of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. Man's problem, sin. Man is, man is uh, at enmity. He's at, he's at war with God. He's entangled by sin. He's without hope and without help in this world. But God in His mercy and grace knew what, what man's problem was going to be. And God saw a way, He saw a solution uh, in salvation. Uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. All things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. And all things are of God who hath reconciled us to Himself by Jesus Christ and hath given us uh, the ministry of reconciliation to wit that God was in Christ reconciling the world unto Himself, not imputing their trespasses unto them, and hath committed unto us the word of reconciliation. Hey, listen to me this morning. If you're lost and undone without Christ, you're at enmity with God. You're at war with God. You're an enemy of God. But God came to this earth in the person of Jesus Christ to reconcile you back to Himself. God loves you this morning. And God wants you to be a friend of His this morning. Having no hope and without God in this world, but God who is rich in mercy. Ephesians 1.4 tells us that, that it was before the foundations of the world, according as He hath chosen us in Him before the foundation of the world. God, uh, when He began to make plans to form this universe and to uh, lay the foundations of the world and to uh, create man uh, there in the Garden of Eden before the very first atom was spoken into existence, before the very first uh, element of creation was made is spoken by the Word of God. God looked down through the eons of time and He seen a Ron Welsh and He seen a Tina Welsh. He saw a Jim Burnett and a Miss Jan and He saw you and He saw me and He realized that man was going to fall and that sin was going to separate them. And God said, I've got a plan. I know how I'm going to work it out. I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to send my son to die on the cross for their sins before He ever created us. Amen. God is rich in mercy for His great love wherewith He loved us. But God commended His love toward us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And God, God in the eons of time before creation decided that He would bring you and I back to Him in love through His Son. To have a, a love relationship with you and I. But God's plan of salvation required a substitute. You and I could never save ourselves. You and I could never do anything to atone, to make reconciliation, to, to pay for our, our sin debt. Our good works, our, our church membership, all the money in the world 
If you were to begin the moment you were born and work and do good things and sacrifice yourself until the day you died, it could never atone for your sin. And God needed a substitute. We see that substitute in the very first book of the Bible in Genesis chapter 3. When Adam and Eve sinned in the Garden of Eden, the Bible tells us that when God went to them, uh, they had covered themselves with fig leaves. That was the work of their hands. But it says that God made them coats of skins to cover them with. You know where He got those, co those coats? I believe there was a little lamb over there that gave its life to cover the, that first man and that first woman in their sin. That little lamb shed its blood and died so that they could be covered. You know what God did? God looked throughout time and He said, You know what? There's none that will be able to be a substitute. I'll just be the substitute myself. God was in Christ reconciling the world back to Himself. The just for the unjust. I'm trying to tell you, He who knew no sin took on our sin and took it to the cross of Calvary. Neither is there salvation in any other. For there is none another name under heaven given among men whereby ye must be saved. Jesus Christ was the only substitute for your sin. I'm trying to tell you this morning that it took a substitute. That on Calvary it wasn't my good works. Hey, it's not my good works that was up on Calvary. It's not my, my, my righteousness up on Calvary. It wasn't my church membership that hung up on Calvary. It wasn't, uh, it wasn't my family name that hung up on Calvary. It wasn't grandma or grandpa. It wasn't mama or daddy. It was the Lord Jesus Christ, God Himself, robed in flesh that hung upon Calvary and took my shame and my sin upon Him and died for me upon Calvary that day. Amen. The plan of salvation. The person of salvation. Man has a problem and that problem is sin. And your sin has separated between you and God. Oh, you pray, but it doesn't go anywhere. You try to read your Bible, but you don't understand. You try to live right, but you continually fail. Why? Because you're trying to do it on your own. Because you've not trusted in the one that can do it through you. You lay your head on your pillow at night and you worry what's going to happen tomorrow. You worry about when you're going to leave this world, what will happen to you. God in His love and mercy sent His only begotten Son to settle men's sin debt. And God's solution to sin was Calvary. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God sent not His Son into the world to condemn the, the world, but that the world through Him might be saved. But verse number 18 goes on to say this, He that believeth in Him is not condemned. That's Romans chapter 8 verse number 1. There is therefore now no condemnation to them that are in Christ Jesus. He that believeth on Him is not condemned. But now listen to these next words. Listen very carefully to these next words. But he that believeth not is condemned already, because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. You see, this morning man has a choice. 
We see man's sin, we see God's solution. But this morning, man has a decision to make. And that decision that man has to make is an individual decision. Every person in this place this morning, every one of you will have to make that decision for themselves. Paul, that great apostle to the Gentiles, broke for the Jews, his countrymen. And in Romans 9, Paul said, I say the truth in Christ. I lie not my conscience also bearing me witness in the Holy Ghost that I have great heaviness and continual sorrow in my heart for I could wish that myself were a curse from Christ for my brethren, my kinsmen according to the flesh. What Paul was saying there was this, that if it were possible, I'd go to hell if I could save every one of them. But salvation is an individual decision. It's not possible. If you escape hell, it'll be because you called upon the name of the Lord. Mama can't save you. Daddy can't save you. You'll not get by on the, on the, on the skirt tail of grandma or the coat tail of grandpa. It won't be because somebody in your family uh, prayed over you or uh, they told you something or you repeated a prayer that you didn't mean after somebody. If you get in, friend, it'll be because you made a decision to accept Jesus Christ as your Savior. Now we're going to go a little bit further than that in just a minute. But it's because you made a decision. Not that somebody else made it. You better quit listening to what somebody else is telling you you did. You'll listen your way all the way to hell if you keep listening to what somebody else tells you you did. If you don't know it in your heart for yourself, friend, you better make sure of it this morning. Salvation is an individual transaction between you and God. Not only is it an individual decision or an immediate decision, an individual decision, but it's an eternal decision. When your last breath is taken, it'll be too late to make a decision for Christ. When that last breath is taken, you'll never have another opportunity to get saved. Your eternal destiny, you listen to me this morning, your eternal destiny will be decided this side of your grave. If you reject Christ, hell will be your home for eternity. The time to decide for Christ is now, right now. It's an immediate decision. Behold, now is the accepted time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. Salvation is an individual decision, eternal decision, but it's an immediate decision. The the clock's running out this morning. I'm afraid in our churches across America that there's a multitude of people who have deceived themselves this morning. They've repeated a prayer after somebody that they didn't really mean. They're trusting in other things this morning. Maybe they came forward and they made a profession of faith in Jesus Christ, but there was no repentance. If there's no repentance, there's no salvation. What do you mean by repentance, preacher? I mean turning away from your sin and turning to Christ. I mean leaving all that other junk behind and you turning to Christ and you following after Him. You can't convince me. You'll never convince this preacher that somebody who said that they got saved and there's never been a change in their life really got what they say they've got. They've deceived them on their own selves. They're on their way to a devil's hell. Miss Tina, you come to the piano. Cooper, cut that live stream off.
I preach that message the way that I do because I know I was one of them. I was one of them who went for years and years and years deceiving his own self, thinking that I was saved. Trying to live a good life, but I couldn't. Trying to pretend, trying to make, make, make people believe that I was something that I was not. A hypocrite. On my way to a devil's hell. There's a lot of people in the church today that's doing the exact same thing that I did. They're living a life of make believe, pretending that they're something that they're not. I heard the story not long ago of a lady, elderly lady, raised in church, good woman. One that I considered to be a godly woman. Heard a story about a lady a while back. On her deathbed came time. She was facing death. All her life she had been afraid of dying. That was her greatest fear was death. I've been around enough saints of God to know this. That when the time comes, God gives them dying grace. I'll never forget Miss Edna Morris went to church with us at Merville. Miss Edna had been on dialysis for years and years and years and years. It came a point in time where they could not do dialysis anymore on her. She laid up in that hospital for weeks and weeks, knowing that it's just a matter of time. She's just laying up there in the hospital waiting to die. I'd go up there to see Miss, Miss Edna and hope to encourage her a little bit. And I'd leave more encouraged than I encouraged her. She'd encourage me. I could go on and tell story after story of saints that passed away that God give that dying grace. But lady that I heard about, on her deathbed, her greatest fear was dying. She was afraid to die. She said at one point in time, she had got so near to death that she had stopped breathing for several minutes. She said she woke, she, she came back to, she started breathing again. Screaming out, no, no. And she began to talk about how that God was mad at her for her sins. Brother Ron, I hope, I hope and pray that that, that, that that lady is in heaven today. But in my mind, I have to wonder. You say, well, preacher, why did you say all that? I said all that to say this. What a tragedy it would be to spend your entire life pretending to be something. And on your deathbed, on your deathbed, face hell, knowing that you've lived a lie your entire life. What a tragedy it would be to spend your entire life and it come down to that point in time when you're about ready to go into eternity, and you not know beyond a shadow of a doubt where you'll spend eternity at. John said, These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God, that ye may know that ye have eternal life. You don't have to sit here this morning wondering. You don't have to worry about it. 
You don't have to fret over it. You don't have to uh, wonder if I were to die right now, where would I spend eternity? You can know beyond a shadow of a doubt where you would spend eternity if you were to leave this earth right now. Can I remind you that none of us is promised tomorrow? Life is nothing but a vapor here for a moment and gone. Think about those times that I'm out there fishing. Whether it be on the river or on the lake and that, 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 that mist on that water rising up early on a cool, cool autumn or spring morning, that mist rising up off that water. But as soon as that sun gets up, uh, before you know, you don't even realize as it's, as it's, as it's going away. One moment it's there, one moment it's gone. You don't even realize when it left. Do you know that's how life is this morning? One, more, one, one moment you're walking through life enjoying it. The next moment it's gone. Snuffed out in a moment, in a second of time. Let me ask you a question this morning. If today were your last day on earth, if today you went out into eternity, where will you be Tomorrow. Are you 100% sure without a shadow of a doubt in your mind? With no doubt whatsoever. Look, I've lived a life to where I, I, I doubt everything. I, I, am, I, am, I am Thomas. I'll be honest with you, I'm Thomas. I relate to Thomas. I've doubted everything in my life. I've questioned everything in my life. I've wondered about everything in my life. But there's one thing since April the 10th, 2009, there's one thing that I can say. I've doubted my call to preach before. But there's one thing that I can stand here this morning and tell you that since April the 9th, 2009, there's one thing in my life that I've not doubted not one time, not one single time have I doubted that I'm saved by the grace of God. Because I know the change that God made in my life. And I wonder this morning, do you know? Do you know that you know that you know beyond a shadow of a doubt that if you were to leave this earth right now that you would spend eternity in heaven? Or is there some doubt in your heart and in your mind? Uh, for I'm not trying to make anybody doubt this morning. But if you're doubting at all this morning, I urge you, I beg you, get that thing right this morning. Do not lay your head down another night. Do not worry about it. Do not wonder about it. Do not fret about it. Do not uh, consider it anymore. You make sure this morning that you know beyond a shadow of a doubt that if you were to die today that you'd spend eternity in heaven I'd hate to know that I came to the end of my life that everything I lived for was a lie I'd hate to know that I come to the end of my life not knowing for sure where I'd spend eternity as we stand this morning every head bowed every eye closed this morning Every head bowed, every eye closed, nobody looking around this morning.